I want to say welcome. We are glad that you're here as we begin Holy Week together. And so we just encourage you to join with us throughout this week on the different opportunities that we uh, are providing you for reflection and worship as well. But today we want to begin a three-part series called The Gift of the Resurrection. And so this morning I want to talk to you about the statement from Christ in the book of John where he says that I am the good shepherd. So for the next three weeks, we're taking a break from our Ephesians series, and then we come back in a few weeks and we jump into chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, which is an amazingly practical chapter for you and I because it talks about relationships and it talks about that of a a marriage and what that looks like between a man and a woman and how God has designed that in Scripture to look as well. And so we want to talk about all those kinds of things together throughout chapter 5. So it's going to be an amazing time when we come back to the book of Ephesians. But I'm excited about this series called The Gift of the Resurrection. And so what we want to do is we want to explore these I am statements that we find in the gospel because this series is not as much about what Jesus does as about who he is. So for the next three weeks, would you allow us together to reacquaint ourselves with Christ, to maybe uh, meet him, maybe for the first time for some of you over these next three weeks together, and for some of you that know him, for you to reintroduce yourself to him as well. And so when I began to look through these texts and, and just sit in them for a while, what I realized that what the writer of Hebrews tells us, that if we will fix our eyes on Jesus, he is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. And so what I realized is that transformation and change comes in my life, not when I'm looking at myself, but when I'm looking at Christ. So that all these conversations I seem to have lately have a common denominator that people talk to me about. And that is about change and transformation, that we all want to change something about us. And so I have these conversations with people and say, hey, I want to change this about me. You know, I want to exercise more. I want to go to the gym more. Well, just hang on because you'll get tired of that after a while, right? And, and I, or I want to be on a different diet because I want to change the way I, I look. Or I want to rest more. I want to have less screen time and, and not be on my phone as much as I am currently. I want to change my devotional life. And I want to have a devotional life. And I want to be devoted to that devotional life. I want quiet time with God. I, I want to work on my relationships and transform my relationships. And so what I understand is this, that I can't change myself. I'm not really good at doing that because most of the time those are temporary within my life. But what I do understand about the Bible is that the more I look upon Christ, the more I am Change the more transformation takes place within my life. And so for the next three weeks, let us reintroduce ourselves to Jesus of who he is, not just what he does. And when we do that, we will see him change us, change us dramatically in our life. Things that we thought would never transform will be transformed as we look upon him. So when I read John chapter 10... 
What I realized contextually is that John chapter 10 is a continuation of John chapter 9. You say, Mark, well, that makes sense, right? Because 10 follows 9. But no, contextually it is because in John chapter 9, we find the story where Jesus heals this blind man from birth. And so he comes to the uh, leaders of the temple and their response is not the response that you would think they would be with a man that's been healed from blindness. But what we realize is they show him this great disrespect. They're very cruel to him. Why? Because he was healed on the wrong day of the week is what it was. He was healed on the Sabbath. And so they actually, in a way, discommunicate him. And these are the Pharisees or these are the spiritual leaders of of the religious movement then. So John 10 is a contrast. John 10 is a contrast between that of what God would see as being godly spiritual leadership versus that of ungodly spiritual leadership, of those that would be legitimate shepherds and those that would be illegitimate shepherds. It's a comparison between the Pharisees and Jesus is what it is. And then later on, the comparison between that of the thief, the ultimate thief of our life, and that is Satan and that of Christ as well. And so what it is, it shows us how a legitimate shepherd cares for people. So let me start in verse 1, give you some background, and then we're going to take a huge leap down to verse 10 in a moment. But verse 1 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and he is a robber. But he who enters by the door, and the door, when the scripture talks about this, is always that of Christ, because he's the way that we enter into the presence of the Father. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so Jesus starts out verse chapter 10 by saying, truly, truly, I say unto you, it's a solemn it's a, it's a solemn directive, an emphatic declaration, a statement that Christ makes to you and I. There's no doubt where Jesus stands on this topic regarding that of spiritual leadership is what it says. He says that there are thieves and there are robbers, and, and he makes that in contrast to who he is as the good shepherd in just a moment. So it's not open for debate. And so I came up with this question. For you, you don't have to raise your hand because I know that you're here. But the question is this Have you ever been harmed? Have you ever been harmed by church or spiritual leadership? That's a big question. It makes me uncomfortable asking you that because of who I am, right, and what I do. So it does make me extremely uncomfortable to say that. So that's why I didn't ask you to raise your hand because I'm going to wonder if you've been talking about me, right? So, uh, you know, just. I, but I know that you are absolutely here. And so what I realize is that Jesus is setting this contrast between that of the religious leaders of that day and himself. That there are shepherds and then there are thieves and robbers who say that they are shepherds is exactly what he's saying. And I thought about he not only calls them, well, he could have called them a robber and that would have been okay or a thief. But he uses both terms, a thief and a robber. Why? Because thieves take from us by trickery. They're like con artists. And robbers take from us by violence or force. And so he covers it all, I believe, by those two statements. That this is a passage of scripture for you and I. For all of us in the room. But I think especially this morning. For those of you that have been wounded by spiritual leadership. 
that here you find healing for your life. You find healing for your life in the person of that of the good shepherd, that of Christ. And so when we read John chapter 10, I think we miss the focus sometimes because we think the focus is on the sheep. Because we talk about that sometimes and how dumb sheep are, you know, and we compare that to ourselves and we simply make that the focus. But I want to tell you, as you read John chapter 10 through a few times, what you're going to realize is the focus is actually on the loving shepherd and how he cares for his flock. So if you've been hurt by church leadership or spiritual leadership, it's real. So I Googled it, you know. If you want to know something is real, you Google it, correct? And so I Googled this term that we now have in our culture called church hurt. And so I Googled the term church hurt. 54,400,000 sites that talk about the event in people's life called church hurt. So I want to say to you that is absolutely real. But I want you to allow the words of the Good Shepherd to wash over your soul and to wash over your heart as you gaze upon Him because you can't fix yourself and you can't heal yourself. So we gaze upon the Good Shepherd today and we look at Him in contrast to those that are thieves and robbers. And there are some powerful parallels here for you and I to explore about who Christ is. So I'd say to you today, if you've been hurt by spiritual leadership in your life at some point, then gaze upon the good shepherd to take your eyes upon thieves and robbers because Jesus warns us that they are there. That's going to happen. So the way to find healing from this situation and this harm in your life is to cast your eyes upon the good shepherd you say, but Mark, is it just looking at him? No, no. What I'm saying to you is to understand who he is, is that's what the scripture is teaching us. So verse 3 says this, then to him the gatekeeper opens. Now let me pause for a moment for understanding today. The gatekeeper is a shepherd who would sleep at the gate of the sheep pen at night to keep the wolf out. So it says to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. So there are two people here, two shepherds. There is the gatekeeper, and then there is the other shepherd. And so it says the sheep hear his voice, talking about the other shepherd, and he calls his own sheep by name, leads them out, and when he was brought out, and when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So who's the good shepherd? I think it's important that we explain that up front. Maybe you know this, but if you don't, verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. These are the words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So I want you to visualize this for a moment. That there is the gatekeeper. There is this shepherd that would be chosen to sheep at, sleep at the sheep gate at night to keep the wolf out. And then in the morning, before the sheep go to pasture, to graze, then the shepherds would come and they would collect their flocks or their foals and they would take them out to graze in the pasture. That's an important visualization that you need to understand. Because we want an understanding this morning before we leave 
a solid understanding of how Jesus sees us and how he feels about us as his sheep. It's important for you to know that because Jesus, even when he spoke these words in verse 6, he said that many of them that heard them did not even understand them. So these are important words for you and I to grasp today. So let me tell you something about sheep. Because you never know, you may want to go out and find your own flock, right, on in, in, in your own fold. So if you want to be a shepherd at some point in your life, this is your sermon. So hang on, take some notes this morning. That sheep were kept in both folds and flocks. You say, Mark, that is so, you know, like detail that we really know. You need to know the details of all of this. That sheep were kept in both folds and flocks. And so what I realize is that, Jesus is speaking to a group of people that understand that of what sheep mean to this culture. So he's talking to them where they are, like he's talking to you and I where we live this morning. And so what we realize when the sheep are in the field and they are grazing, then they are a fold of sheep. They're this small group of sheep that are over that are being overseen by a designated shepherd. And at night, if they don't make it to the city, he puts them in a pen in the middle of the pasture, and it is called a fold. And so they are a fold of sheep. But when they come to town, then you take all the sheep that comes to town and all the folds, and you put them in a large enclosure, and you call that enclosure the flock. Now, you know a lot about sheep, right? So now you can impress people about your sheep knowledge. Exactly right. It's a great subject to talk about at lunch. So here's the thought, because you have to understand this, that we first have that fold of sheep, that small fold that belongs to that shepherd, and he keeps them together in the field when they graze. But when he brings them to town, most of the time at night, he mixes them with all the other foals and they become a flock and they're watched over by this one shepherd at the gate. But it presents a problem. I thought about this one and I'm not a shepherd, but I see the problem here. Have you thought about what the problem is? Well, if you're mixing all of these different sheep together into one flock Then in the morning, when you have to take them out to graze in the pasture, how do you know your sheep from everybody else's sheep? How do you know that? Well, I know that, and I've been reading about this somewhat. You say, Mark, you need to really get a life. No, it's really important stuff. It is, right? That some shepherds would place a mark on them, a dye from some kind of uh, element that they found in nature there, I guess. And they would dye them. But when you sheared them, I thought, well, that mark goes away. So how do you tell your sheep apart from everyone else? You say, oh, that's easy. That, that's easy. My sheep are kind of fluffy. They're dirty white. And they make this weird sound called, bah, it's what they do. And that's what, no, they all do that, right? So what do you do? Because they're all mixed together. Jesus uses this as a powerful metaphor for you and I to understand who he is. Is what he does. Because what he says is he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. 
So you name your sheep like you name your dog. That's not what he's saying at all. No, that the shepherd makes this very distinct sound that the sheep know that shepherd and they follow that shepherd. They recognize the call of their shepherd. And so in the morning before they take them out to pasture to graze, they walk up to the flock. He makes this sound or this call, and then the flock separates in folds, and they follow their shepherd out. For those of you that have always bought into this fact of how dumb sheep are, it kind of dispels that thought, doesn't it? Yes, because they understand and they hear the voice of their shepherd. Mark, make your point. You've talked enough about it. No, I want to talk more about it for a moment. I really do, yeah. So when I was young... That um, I was raised most of my life in Hawaii. My dad was in the military, retired there, long story. But anyway, so I was far from my grandparents. So they would fly me back to Georgia most every summer. And I would spend the summers with my grandparents on my grandfather and grandmother's farm. So I understood a little bit about that, you know. And so what I would do is before my grandfather, who worked in the textile mill, would go to the mill to his normal job, he had cows. And so he would wake me up really early in the morning during the summer, and he would, my, my papa would take me down to the barn to feed the cows early in the morning, right? And, and so we would do that, and we would get up and just almost getting light, and we would walk down to the barn, and then my grandfather would make this call. It was the weirdest thing. I don't know what it, he said. I can't remember because I thought if I could remember what he would say in this call, this cow call, I would call it, I guess, then I would do that this morning. But if I did that, knowing my grandfather, then we would have a cow problem in the room because there'd be a lot of cows in here, right? Yes. So he would make this call, and all of a sudden, on those hot Georgia humid mornings that you would see those cows coming from all over the pasture to the barn because they knew it was time for them to be fed. And I thought, that's exactly what's happening here. That when I see this and I understand what Jesus is saying to me about the way he sees me and how he loves me and who he is, that my relationship with him is absolutely personal. It's personal. That he knows me and I know his call. And I know his call. So it's absolutely personal. My, my relationship with God is not just corporate. It's not just some general relationship with God. But it's extremely intimate with Christ the Good Shepherd. It's more than that Jesus just loves the little children, all the children of the world. And we hear these things. We have these very generalized conceptions of how God loves us. But what I realize when I see this and what Jesus is speaking to us through this metaphor about sheep is that his love for you and I is extremely intimate and it's very personal that I know him and he knows me and I have this very close relationship with Jesus. Understand that. So I began to look at the Gospels and what I realized that every time he called one of his disciples by name, it was extremely transformational in their life. 
He, he spoke to Philip or Mary Magdala by name. He spoke to Thomas and Simon Peter. And every time he called them by name, it was transformational for them in their life. It's transformational to know he knows you at a very personal level. I think it's one thing to say in a very generalized statement that God knows me and that he loves me. That's one thing, and that's truth, absolutely. But to bring it into this kind of metaphor, that of the good shepherd and that of sheep, and this moment when he calls his fold out of the flock is absolutely amazing Because what it says to me is this is very personal. This is very intimate. That my relationship goes beyond just friendship with God. It does. But what it is, it's a very personal relationship with Jesus. I even hear people say, you know, we we use the term, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. But do you really understand what that means? Because if you grasp that... If you reintroduce yourself to what that really means, it is transformational in your life. Absolutely transformational. So this text is about a reintroduction into who Christ is within your life. It is powerful for those of you that have felt just love in a very generalized way way God is addressing that for those of you that maybe even feel marginalized in how God loves you he's addressing that as well he's telling you that is not the way that the good shepherd loves you and cares for you he cares for you in a very personal and an intimate way is what he says to us and then he says in verse 10 he says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And some of you are familiar with that text. You know, if you've been in church very long, you've heard this text used so many times. So I wrote a question, not just life, but abundant life. And I put a question there because I think we misunderstand what Jesus is saying to us. First of all, he starts by talking about the thief. He's called spiritual leaders that are illegitimate shepherds, thieves, and robbers, is what he said. He has compared himself in contrast to that. Then he compares himself in contrast to Pharisees and that of him being the good shepherd. And now what he's doing, he's making another contrast. And he's contrasting himself between that of our ultimate thief of our life. And that is Satan, who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy is what he says. But the contrast is that it is him, the good shepherd. I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But what does Jesus mean by abundant life? What does he mean by that? Oh, I know you are absolutely sitting on the very edge of your seat to know that, right? You're, you're so excited because you have a preconceived idea about what I'm about to say. And I want to tell you, I'm probably about to say something that is completely opposite of what you have perceived. You say, Mark, it is not nice to, pers- to assume things. I know, I know, but just give me some latitude for a moment because I kind of know how we think. So what does Jesus mean by abundant life? Yes, remember, 
he's still using the metaphor of sheep here. So let me tell you what this is. This is not in context of the passage. What Christ is not talking about. This is not about wealth. Ah, Mark, come on. I thought that's what this would be about, right? Because how many times have you heard this text used and it would be connected to prosperity? Now it gets quiet, right? Now you're determining whether you're going to come back for the next part of this series, correct? Because you don't know where I'm going with this. And we've heard this so many times taken, but if you look at it in the pure context of that, of the metaphor that Christ is using, then what I realize is that sheep don't carry wallets, right? True. So what is he talking about in all of this? And, and you say, you know, does God want the best for us? Mark, is, I mean, just answer that. And my answer for that is yes and no. Yes and no. Well, what do you mean by that? God wants what is best for us. Absolutely, God wants what is best for us. And that is not always what we think is the best or what is the best in the eyes of our culture. Do you get that? That God wants what is best for us, but that is not always what is the best in the eyes of our current culture. It's not. So what is this about? Tell us that this is a text about contentment. Now, listen to what God is going to say to your heart this morning. And don't simply go out and fill in all the blanks yet. Because this is a text about contentment. About joy and satisfaction. And where you find that contentment. Because what the sheep need. They need food. They need water. And they need the care of the shepherd. Abundant life isn't necessarily in this text that of long life for you and I, or easy life for you and I, or even a comfortable life for you and I. Abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. Wow. It's what we find in the shepherd is what it is. It's who he is. Not what he can just provide for us or give to us. It's who he is. And that fills me with joy in life, even when things are a struggle in life. That I'm still filled with joy and I'm still filled with contentment and satisfaction because what I realize is that my contentment is based in him and who he is and not the things that I can amass in this life. Because I wrote in my journal this week, if this was about riches, then when I'm not rich, the shepherd is not good. Now, for some of you, you're saying, I came to the right church this morning. For some of you saying, I came to the wrong one, right? Yes, because it's very different. Yeah, it's extremely different. Now, are you saying, Mark, that all the other ways that it's, that text is taken and used about how God provides for us and all is completely wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just taking it in the purity of the context of this verse and what it talks about for you and I. 
And what I realize when it comes to contentment in my life, I don't always get this right. I don't, and I struggle with this. Why? Because the sin of my life has rewired me to some extent when it comes to contentment. And I struggle with this. I really do. That's why in verse 4, it says that the good shepherd leads us. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he forces me or drags me into understanding all this. No, it's a process in my spiritual development. But what I do realize is what Proverbs 14 and 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man. And there's always going to be my way. And then there's going to be God's way. And I'm going to struggle with that. And I'm going to struggle with being content in who the good shepherd is at times. I'm going to struggle with that. I'm going to struggle with this obedience in my life to trust him and have confidence in him. And and that doesn't come naturally for you and I as sinners. It doesn't. And what I realize is that this will be a lifetime struggle for me. Ultimately, till I'm glorified and my body is changed, it's going to be a struggle for you and I to ultimately trust in God and not place my ultimate, and I use that word very intentionally, my ultimate trust in people or relationships or institutions or self or who I identify in as myself and not God. So I ask myself a question. What brings the shepherd more honor and glory? Because that's what we want, right? I mean, that's what we're called to do is honor the father through the son. So what, what brings the shepherd, the good shepherd, more honor and glory? How do I reflect his goodness and character and nature more? Is it that my contentment is found in whatever I have and I amass in this world and whatever I think that I need that I get? Is that how I reflect his character and his nature more? You know, but don't I reflect, don't I reflect his character and nature, the goodness of the good shepherd in my contentment in him and not in things in this life? Is Jesus enough? That's a huge question. Is Jesus enough? And that question can only be answered if I have a good understanding of who he is and how he sees me. This is why this is a reintroduction into who Jesus is. Because you see, here's the thing, the thief, the enemy, he does not want you, does not want you to live content in Christ. In fact, it wants you to live, he wants you to live absolutely confused into where your hope lies this morning. It's it. And, and I have to give you a side note, and that is that those of you that are perceiving something this morning, that contentment doesn't mean doesn't mean that you have to be poor, or nor, nor does it mean that you have to settle. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if you find yourself in those moments of lack, and you find yourself in those moments without, can I tell you, God is still, Christ is still the good shepherd. Because my contentment is found within him. Not things. Wow. That's good preaching, Mark. Thank you. That's, that's good. I, I'm just, 
you know, I had to sit in this for a while. Man, I, you know, how many times me being raised in church, and, and I know that that does not cover the, the totality of, of the demographics of the room, and, and I'm not naive to think that, but me, speaking of me, how many times have I heard John chapter 10 and the way it's been preached and the way it's been taught? And, and I said, God, I want to take something that I have heard for so many years and speak something into me, God. Speak something into me that is extremely powerful. And that thought of my relationship being absolutely intimate and personal with him, that he calls me when I'm mixed in with the flock as his fold, and I know him and he knows me. And then this thought that my contentment in this world is based upon him. And so that when things are not going well within my life, he is still the good shepherd of my life because my contentment is found in him. Wow. You guys have kept me in this place too long. I got to move on, right? I got to move on. So here is verse 11. I am the good shepherd. He makes that statement. I am the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. So here it all comes to this kind of, in music, a crescendo. This is the moment, okay? So look at what he says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So this thought is this, what does Jesus really mean when he says, I am the good shepherd? Because, man, we can't leave without having a really good understanding of what Jesus means. And there's no mistaking uh, him announcing that to the crowd and to you and I, that alone, that he's not one of the good shepherds, that alone he is the good shepherd. He's the great antagonist of the robber and the thief that he's talked about previously in this chapter he is the pattern for all shepherds is what he is. The standard for all shepherds. That Jesus takes it to another level as he contrasts the difference between a hired hand and himself as the good shepherd. And it is the ultimate contrast of all the things that he talks about in this chapter. Because he starts by saying to you and I that Jesus, he says, is not a hired hand. And that's transformational. If you don't understand that, then your relationship with Jesus is missing something. You have to understand this. Because Jesus starts out these few verses with telling you and I who he is not. And that's always usually pretty powerful when he does that. It is. That he's not a hired hand. He's the shepherd. Because just calling yourself a selfish shepherd does not make you one at all. It doesn't. It comes down to who walks the walk of a true shepherd. And the litmus test, when it comes down to everything about being the good shepherd, the litmus test is what the shepherd does when the wolf approaches. That's the litmus test. That's how you know who the good shepherd is. 
Because I have to tell you today, the wolf is going to come. And we know the wolf here is that of also an analogy of who Satan is and what he does in our life or attempts to do. So we know the wolf is going to come. We understand that. Some of you say, Mark, you don't understand. I feel him breathing down my neck this very morning. That's how close and what's going on in my life right now. So he's going to come. The test of who the good shepherd is, is what the shepherd does at the moment when the wolf approaches. And what I realize is that Jesus is saying to you and I this morning that he does not abandon us in those moments. I read this powerful quote from Charles Spurgeon, and he says this, the Lord Jesus is our shepherd. We are his wealth. We are his wealth. I underlined the the point, we are his wealth, because I thought that was such a powerful thought from Spurgeon. It is that Jesus is committed to you and I for the long haul. This is what this says to me. He's committed to you and I for the long haul. His heart is not just for the things that give you some immediate short-term relief within your life. He's committed to you forever because you are his wealth. And so I thought, what is Spurgeon talking about? And what does this mean for you and I in this text? Because in this time when Jesus was speaking to this crowd, sheep were wealth. The more sheep you had, the more wealthy you are as an individual. So sheep was very synonymous to wealth. They were seen as that during this time when Jesus was teaching this. And so Jesus, what I realize is this, that God has invested. God has invested into you and I through that of his son's death, burial, and resurrection, which is the gift of the resurrection. He has invested in you and I. The good shepherd sees you and I as wealth. Understand this. He sees us as wealth. And when he sees us as wealth because of his investment of his very life. In fact, what Jesus has done, he has placed a value on us. And the value that he has placed upon you and I is equal to his very life himself. So that he has placed a value on us and we are his wealth Wrap your mind around that. So in the moment when we see or he sees the wolf approaching, what does he do? He doesn't run away from the things that are most wealth, are the, is the most wealth to him. But what does he do? He stands between you and I and the wolf. When the wolf approaches, he doesn't run. He doesn't abandon you in the tough moments of your life. He doesn't leave you hanging when you're in a pinch, even when you have created the situation that you find yourself in. He is still there. He never runs from a fight. He doesn't. Even when the wolf is approaching. So, you know, a lot of you know that that I love the outdoors and I, I love to camp and, and, and there's just something about sleeping in a tent outside or in a sleeping bag and seeing the stars and, and having a campfire and oh, I just love all that kind of stuff. It's, it's great, you know, but I, and I love the mountains. But one thing about the mountains is they have their, their, you know, their issues, their downfall, and that is these creatures that run through the mountain called bears, right? 
And, and what do bears like to do? They like to eat humans, right? Exactly. And, and so Reba always is very concerned when I go camping because she always says, you know, make sure there's no bears around. Like, I want to tell you, babe, there are probably bears around. There's not a lot I could do about that, right? But what I realize is, and I've always said, it's kind of a funny joke we have with uh, my sons and I, that no worries about bear protection because all you have to do is be able to outrun the other person you're camping with, right? That's all you have to do. Yeah. Be- think about it for a moment, right? The bad thing is that I go camping with my sons who are all younger than I am, right? So what does that make me? That makes me a bear buffet is exactly what that makes me, correct? Yes, it is. And so what I realize about Jesus, the litmus test, the ultimate test of who the good shepherd is, is that he does not run when the wolf comes, but a hireling does. Why does the hired hand run? Because the hired hand does not have an investment in value in that of the sheep, because the sheep and the flock are for his benefit. And what I realize when I see this, and I understand what Christ is teaching us here, that he's the owner. He protects the flock. Why? Because of its intrinsic value to him, that he set the value, and he set the value at the equivalence of his very own life. So understand that the good shepherd will never leave you in a fight. Never. Why? Because he set your value. And it is the ultimate sign of the good shepherd. Last verse, verse 16. And it says, and I have other sheep. I underline this. This is a powerful, powerful text about grace. Then I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And so I wrote is this thought that there are many foals, is what the, what the text, the, um, the point says, that there are many foals. Well, I thought that's what the point would say, right? But maybe not, right? There are, there are many foals, one flock, one shepherd. Many foals, but one flock, one shepherd. That God is not ethnocentric. What does that mean, Mark? That God just didn't come to build one flock from one fold. Now, this is important. Because when he was speaking to the Pharisees, this was something that would infuriate them. Because what he's saying is that this is not just for the Jewish people alone, but this is also for you Gentiles as well. Because there are many folds, but one flock, one shepherd. That Jesus is the good shepherd of 
more than the fold of Israel. That Jesus is not just called one fold. And if that were the case, then we would be left hopeless today. Unless you are of Jewish heritage in the room this morning. So what he's saying, that at that moment, when Jesus spoke those words to those Pharisees and the others in the audience that day, that he specifically had you on his mind. And I thought about this. That he specifically had you on his mind when he said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. All people groups. Regardless of your background, regardless of the sin that is in your life or the sin that you have committed. But this is an all-inclusive grace. It's a grace so inclusive and so powerful that it's almost impossible yet difficult to understand. For you and I. Because it's so contrary to our humanity. So I thought about how to kind of tie all that together. And so just think with me for a moment with your imagination as we tie all this together this morning. That I were to approach you in the lobby today and I were to say, hey, I want to I give you $500,000. Now you're saying I came to the right church, right? Yes, absolutely. I knew God was bringing me here. I knew that. But I say, hey, I want to give you $500,000. And your response to me would be, hey, you know, listen, that's really nice. But, man, I'm really not set up for that kind of money. You know, that's a, that's a lot of money. And that's crazy generous. And I can't hardly manage my $50,000 a year salary now and you want to give me 500000 and that's just far beyond my ability to even think about how I can manage that. You see, that's exactly, that's exactly what Jesus is teaching regarding grace here. That grace is so over the top and unbelievable that you are never prepared for it you are never worthy of it it's always too much it's always too much the reason that Jesus uses the metaphor of the hired hand is because in that culture the shepherd that was hired to watch the sheep was not tasked with laying down his life to protect them. He was tasked with caring for them, providing for them to a point. But when it came to that of dying for them, then his responsibilities were relinquished. So when it came to this teaching... Can you imagine the people in the audience when Jesus said 
that he was a shepherd that would die for the sheep. It was unbelievable to them. They had never heard that before in their life. It was far out of their culture or far out of their concepts of what a shepherd would do for them to even comprehend. It was way too much and over the top for them to wrap their minds around. That's why it says in the book of John that they didn't understand what he was saying. Because it was just too much. Because it's crazy stuff to think that a shepherd would die for his sheep. Can you let that just wash over you for a moment? The book of Colossians chapter 3 says this to us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what I realized when I saw that this week is I wanted to read to you something to close with. That dwelling is a lost, kind of a lost art in our culture because we're so busy we don't want to ever dwell in anything. But can you allow the word of God to just wash over you for a moment? And to maybe wash away the concerns that you've had today about how Christ feels about you and who he is. And to sit in this for a moment. about who he is and how he cares for you. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Psalm of David. So he is the good shepherd. Never again just see that term without it washing over your soul something fresh and something new. So would you just take a moment to pray with me? To take a posture of prayer this morning, to bow your heads or close your eyes or just sit there silently, whatever 
the posture of prayer that you desire to take today. And then allow me to pray for you and pray with you this morning. So, Father, today we pray with our hearts and our minds open to you. God, we realize that there are thieves and there are robbers and there are those that would impersonate a shepherd. But God, you have revealed to us today with no doubt, no uncertainty that you are the good shepherd in our lives. The good shepherd that loves us greatly. It is who you are. The good shepherd that cares for us to the point that you would lay down your life for us. The good shepherd in which we find contentment in life even when we don't have everything that we want. And even in those moments when we don't have everything we need. That nothing in this world can change the fact that you are the good shepherd. Nothing. So in our moments of struggle, in our moments of grief, Lord, in the moments of uncertainty in this life, that we remind ourselves daily that you are the good shepherd and you know us by name. You call us out. And Father, your grace will always be too much. So today, we just walk in it. So today, we give you our sin and our brokenness. We give you the failures of our lives. Because you are the ultimate shepherd that would die for his sheep. So thank you, Father, for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for reintroducing yourself to us today as the good shepherd. Let this sink deep into our hearts and our souls become transformational as we gaze upon you.